Good morning, Hope Astoria. I'm so glad that we can start our week off together in worship. I want to welcome our family, friends, guests that are joining us as today we're continuing in our sermon series, The Life We Long For. If you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to go to our website and check in to our YouTube channel so that you could catch up where we've been. But in essence, what this series is trying to address is this tension that we all feel, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, whether you're a person of faith or not, we all can resonate with this tension between the life that we long to live versus the life that we're actually living. All of us have these gaps between those two lives, in essence. Our hearts are yearning and reaching for more than we're presently experiencing, and there's a life that we long for. And the good news for us is that Jesus actually lived the life that we long for. And in this series, we're going to seek to study his life in a way that I hope is fresh and challenging and invites all of us to consider what it would look like to actually live like Jesus. Today we're in this sermon series and we're going to be in a very powerful verse of scripture that's found in the New Testament. It's in the, Ma the Gospel of Matthew, the 11th chapter, verse 25 to 30. Jesus is speaking in these verses and he says the following. Verse 25, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us this morning from your word, you cause your scriptures to come alive to every single one of us? Holy Spirit, would you glorify Jesus, fill every heart, every home with an undeniable sense of your presence. And Father, may our hearts grow in affection and surrender to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, during Good Friday, Easter weekend, I was having a conversation with Michael, my six-year-old, because he was deeply engrossed in the events that we were celebrating that weekend. Uh, Michael found himself making crosses and talking about Jesus dying for us. And the subject came up about something that takes place in the book of Leviticus, and that was the practice of a scapegoat. I encourage you to go to Leviticus chapter 16, and you'll read a practice that the Jewish people were instructed by God to do where they would take a goat and they would uh, confess all the sins of the people upon the head of this goat. So imagine that was a long process. And then they would loose this goat into the wilderness and the goat would never return back to the people. And so in many ways, this goat was carrying the sins of the people. It was a foreshadowing of eventually what we would see take place in Jesus. 
And it was interesting to see a six-year-old process this idea of a scapegoat, the idea of someone else taking the blame that you rightfully deserve. And I see the dots connecting in his mind. It's like, could I blame my brother and my sister for things that I do? How to stop that mental process short and go back to explaining what a scapegoat was. And I got to thinking about this year that we've just lived through since the shutdown began and everything that's transpired, the pandemic in many ways, I believe, will go down in our lifetime as one, as, of, as one of the greatest scapegoats of our lifetime with respect to this. It will probably be the easiest thing in our world to blame the pandemic for so much of life being broken it's so easy to just say the pandemic did this. It, this was exacerbated because of the pandemic. The pandemic disrupted this. Uh, it caused, it pushed our lives into this extreme. But I know it's been a year and it feels like it's been 10 years. But if I could refresh our memories to this vital truth that I think it's easy to forget. And that is that life before the pandemic was incredibly broken. Even though we yearn to return back to some sense of normalcy, because this year has been extraordinarily challenging and difficult on so many fronts, it's, it's vital that we don't kid ourselves and think that before the pandemic, that life was just rosier and that it was the pandemic that screwed everything up. Here's some sobering statistics about life before the pandemic. On average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. During one year, this equates to more than 10 million men and women. This was happening before the pandemic. Anxiety. From 2008 to 2018, there was an increase from 7.97% to 14.66% of anxiety being felt and experienced and negatively impacting people from the age of 18 to 25 years old, all before the pandemic. Before the pandemic, the average personal debt of Americans was $92,727. This is average. This is debt that combines credit cards, loans, student debt, car payments, the average debt that a person was carrying was that much. I know some of you want me to stop reading these statistics because they're shocking, they're depressing, they're sad, but let me give you some more. Again, these are statistics that describe life before the pandemic. 61% of Americans reported feeling significant sense of loneliness. This was over the course of time reporting many instances of feeling just a debilitating sense of loneliness. I know these are just numbers that I'm rattling, but I need you to think of faces and people that speak about these statistics. These are real lives that are being described with these numbers. But let's go beyond numbers and let's just talk about big picture experiences. Before the pandemic, people were dealing with addictions of all sorts, whether it was substance addictions or uh, uh, emotional addictions or uh, addictions to pornography, the, 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 the list can go on and on and on of people struggling with the battle against addictive behavior. 
we are overworked. Studies continue to show that uh, we're closer and closer developing a work to death kind of culture, a, a culture that exists in places like Japan, that many Americans are adopting that kind of mindset. Um, let, let's not talk about pollution in our world, the rise of waste and just what's happening in our oceans and air quality and all these things. We don't like to think about it. I know I don't like to think about it, but before the pandemic, uh, nuclear hostilities that it very much exists that uh, in many regions of the world, there's the potential for all-out nuclear war to break out. Or racism. We've been confronting this, and rather it's been confronting us and continues to painfully do so uh, in this country throughout this year. But let's not kid ourselves. It has been going on since the inception of this country. We could go on and on and on. I could go on listing all sorts of things that were true before the pandemic. Life was broken before the pandemic. In fact, it hasn't been working for a long time for any of us. We've just been too busy to notice how broken it's been. But here's the interesting thing, that after a year of forced lockdown and forced isolation, where we've had plenty of time to reflect and think and to reprioritize and recenter, the, the fact is most of us are getting ready to return to a sense of normalcy that basically just includes us living the way we used to. With slight changes, slight tweaks, but in essence, we are doing, going to do the same thing that we were doing before all of this because we tend to return to our past as people. And unfortunately, our past pre-pandemic was a life that was not working, that wasn't sustainable, if we're honest. But that's why this, these verses that we read provide a striking invitation from Jesus that I think is incredibly important for us to reflect on at this juncture of our life. As we're getting ready to return back to normalcy, uh, slowly inching toward that, in this moment, Jesus, through these verses, extends an incredible invitation. And now, we're going to focus on verses 28 to 30, but before we can do so, it's important to look at the context of these verses, because prior to verse 28, Jesus says some powerful things. And to frame this, I want to tell you a story about the great Mahatma Gandhi. It is, it is said that on his deathbed, a very close relative leaned over to him and said, you've been searching for God your whole life. Have you found him? And he humbly admitted and said, no, I'm still searching. Up until his very death, he admitted that he was still searching for God. A man that many people consider to be a saint admitted that he was still searching for God himself. Compare that to what Jesus says in verse 27, and you could not have a more glaring difference because look at what Jesus says. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This is a stark contrast to what other faiths would claim. 
uh, other religious leaders would claim. This is what sets Jesus apart, where he was not just a mere prophet. Prophets would point people to God. But Jesus is not a mere prophet because he's pointing to himself and saying, I am God. And furthermore, he's saying, in order to know God the Father, you have to know the Son. Because the only one that knows the Father is the Son. In essence, Jesus is saying something that the New Testament expounds upon in various moments and ways. And that is this, that it takes God to know God. And Jesus says, I'm God. And in order to know God the Father, you have to know me, God the Son. And this is a powerful thing because what Jesus is declaring is that he has absolute knowledge of the Father. Not an approximate knowledge, not just a knowledge by association or the very best, closest kind of knowledge you can get. No, he has absolute knowledge of the Father. And these claims of Jesus are at the heart of what makes our faith so incredibly powerful, but also so widely hated by many people. Because these claims don't allow for any middle ground. You are either believing that Jesus says who he says he is, and that only through him we could know the Father, or we are choosing not to believe that. There's no middle ground. Jesus is setting the stage and saying, to know me is to know that I'm not just a mere teacher, moral example, a philosopher, a historical figure. No, I am the only way that you could know God, the Father, because only God, the Son, knows him. So in the context of Jesus saying this incredible revelation, a revelation that continues to form and shape us, it's the reason why we serve Jesus and put our faith in him and have chosen to be baptized and publicly declare to the world that we are following this risen king and are, are saying to the community of faith, I am now one of you through the act of baptism. I am a fellow sojourner and student of the life of this risen Messiah, Jesus because this revelation continues to speak to us and shape us. It is an eternal revelation that Jesus has declared. But in these verses, Jesus just doesn't declare revelation. He declares revelation and rescue. Because in verse 28, Jesus says these words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Why this is such a critical verse for us to pause and reflect and internalize is because rather than returning to the way life used to be, the way we used to live our lives to continue in that pattern, Jesus offers us something different. He reveals who he is, but then he extends rescue to weary people. See, the, the word weary in that verse, the tense in the original language is a very interesting tense because it's not just describing someone who's just a little fatigued or tired, just marginally. No, it, the tense is a continual state of weariness. That's interesting for us living in 2021 in New York City or beyond if you're tuning in from somewhere else. But if you're living in these modern times, the truth is, our pace of life, the condition of our souls, and the state of the world has us feeling so weary. 
And it's not just an occasional weariness, it's a continuing state of weariness. But I wonder if Jesus is rescuing us from weariness and inviting us to a place of rest that he alone can give because we're experiencing a different kind of weariness, a continuous state of weariness that's not just due to the modern struggles of our pace of life and our responsibilities and the complexities of life during these times, but it's related to an ongoing perennial struggle of human beings, and that is that throughout time, one of the things that exhausts us the most is that we are continuously searching for God in all the wrong places. Our search for God in all the wrong places is at the heart of what causes us to be so exhausted. It's exhausted to search and search and seek, but to search and seek in all the wrong avenues of life. I love this quote by Bruce Marshall, where he says this, the man who rings the bell at the brothel unconsciously does so seeking God. Why I love that quote is because it's it actually speaks about this universal weariness and struggle of you and I constantly seeking for God in things, in relationships, in accomplishments, in status, in things that ultimately are not God and that will leave us empty and dry. But Jesus reveals himself as God and then extends this rescue for all who are weary, who, for all who are living in this continuous state of weariness, because he promises to give us rest from the burden and the weariness that we all accumulate as we are trying to search for God in all the wrong places. He says, I'm going to give you rest from that vain, empty pursuit that keeps leaving you dry. Because I'm going to stop your search. You don't have to search any further. God is not found there or there or here or in those people or in this situation. You find him in me, Jesus is saying. And when we receive that, we become positioned to actually receive the rest that Jesus promises us. You know, recently I had the most incredible privilege to be a guest at a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. It's one of our members from our church, a dear, dear sister to me, and she had uh, she extended the honor of allowing me to be a part of one of her milestone celebrations. If you're not familiar with those in recovery, there's moments of celebration, whether it's six months, a year, 10 years. And so during this time of celebration of uh, just rejoicing over just this season of of being clean and continuing to live into sobriety, uh, I was a guest. And it was over Zoom, and so my screen was blank, my, my microphone was muted. So I was as anonymous as possible, and I was just allowed to listen. And I was so utterly moved. I can honestly say I have never been in a gathering like that in, in any other moment of my life. Because what I experienced in that call was a degree of honesty that was unparalleled to any other setting I've ever been in. The, the Narcotics Anonymous, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, it's built on a 12-step program. And the fourth step is one that caught me because many of them said this step, and I was struck by the 
just a beauty of the language in this fourth step. Let me read it to you. The fourth step is this, that you have made a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourself. You have made a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourself. And during that call, that's exactly what I was experiencing people doing. They were so utterly honest about their brokenness, about their struggles, about the fact that the disease of addiction will kill them, that they're, they're, every day they have to be vigilant and be real and honest about this struggle. And I was moved because, to be perfectly honest, there's so many times I don't hear Christians, us as followers of Jesus, um, talk about sin with that kind of honesty, that sin is going to kill us, destroy us. It's That's all it's bent on is just dehumanizing us and causing us to be vile toward each other and destructive. There was a level of honesty during that call that was absolutely riveting. And why I pause there is because all Jesus, the only criteria that he is making possible, this gift of rest, he's making it possible to anyone who would be willing to admit, I'm weary and I'm carrying burdens I can't carry. You catch that. Jesus is promising rest, not to, to the elites, not to people of a certain educational uh, you know, achievement. Uh, he's not promising rest to the rich, to the people that society would favor. He's promising rest to all. All we have to do is admit that we are weary, that we're in a continuous state of weariness, and that we're carrying burdens that are too heavy for us to bear. And so I ask all of us, can we be honest? Can we be honest? I know that's hard because we don't want to face some of the ugly truths that are very real and very easy to see if we're actually honest because it's painful. Also, we, we live in a city that pushes us to live behind a facade and to live into some, sense, some pretentious sense of who we are not rather than face the reality of who we are. But Jesus is extending this gift of rest to all who would just admit that they're weary and they're carrying a burden. Notice when Jesus says, come to me, the very next word he says is all you who are weary and heavy and heavy burden. He, he, that word all kind of just leapt out of the page because it, it, it aptly describes the unbounded reach of God's love. There is no limit to his love. His love is not going only so far. And if you're past this line, you're out of his reach. His love is extended to all. We are all welcome to come and receive this, this rest that Jesus is promising to give. The only thing we have to do is admit that we need it. But I want to stop right there because if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad you're tuning in because I want you to hear Jesus himself these are his words saying, all can come to me. If you're, if you're weary and heavy burdened, 
all can come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying that any of us can come to him and it's not come to me, but first work some stuff out. Come to me, but first get your life together in this area or that. Come to me, but please stop that addictive behavior. Stop that, that pattern in your life. No, it's just if you're weary and if you are heavy burdened, you qualify as the group of all that Jesus says, just come and I'll give you rest. But that's the profound thing about the grace of God in this invitation, because Jesus is not just extending wide his hands and saying, all, come all who desire to get this rest that I am freely giving. But he actually promises rest. That's, that's amazing because we live in, in a time where we're exposed to so many hucksters and salesmen and con artists. Uh, recently was reading a story about someone who defrauded companies of billions of dollars. And I was like, oh my gosh, the, the, the times we live in that people are still to this day defrauding and lying and conning and cheating. And at the essence, what happens is people promise things that they can't deliver. They promise a dream that's impossible to be fulfilled. They'll say, invest in this company and you'll be an instant millionaire. No, it doesn't happen that way. I don't know if you've seen the documentary about WeWorks on Hulu. It is fascinating. It's a, it's a brilliant example of someone who had no integrity, who overpromised, underdelivered, and at the core deceived so many people because he couldn't deliver on what he was selling. But Jesus makes a bold statement in this invitation. He says, everyone, doesn't matter, no criteria, whoever you are, you are all welcome, especially if you're willing to admit that you're weary and heavy burdened. If you're willing to admit life has not been working pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, life has not been working. We are weary. We are heavy burdened. Come. And then he says, I'll give you rest. No one else can make that promise and deliver. Now, so many things try to make that promise, but they don't deliver. The, the, the advertisements for the latest vacation tries to make that promise, but we come back from our vacations and maybe we're a little bit relaxed, but that doesn't last. Uh, pleasure tries to tempt us and tell us, this is what you're really searching for, need and then we give in to those pleasures, those temporary temptations that try to grab our hearts. And what happens at the end of it? We're left empty and disappointed. And we know I've been lied to again. I fell for it because it does not deliver the rest that it promises. But Jesus makes a bold statement and he says, I will give you rest. And he actually delivers on that promise. See, because the one who's promising rest is not just some salesman, it's not some con artist. He is the risen king that rose from the dead, defeated death, has broken the chains of sin and shame and guilt on your life and mine. He is the Messiah, the awaited promised king that has come to redeem and restore our world. He, that one, that king, that Jesus is promising rest for our souls and he alone delivers and has the power to deliver on that promise rest is only given by jesus 
See, the same Jesus that makes this bold declarative revelation and says, you can't know the Father except by knowing me, the Son. If that wasn't bold enough, I think this next statement is incredibly bold. I will give you rest. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to take Jesus up on this offer. He's offering boldly, saying, I can give you the rest that you're seeking for in all these other places. All you have to do is come to me with your burdens and your weariness and all. But if you're a follower of Jesus, just the same, Jesus is saying, come to me. This is an invitation not to the spiritually mature. This is an invitation. Jesus isn't saying, come to me if you've memorized the whole New Testament. Come to me if you pray every day. Come to me only if you're active in, in church. Come to me only if you stop that habit and that sin. No, it's come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I love this quote by Augustine, who said this, I have read in Plato and Cicero sayings that are wise and very beautiful, but I have never read in either of them, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. See, why Jesus alone can give us rest, a rest that no one else can promise and deliver, because only Jesus can cause us to cease from performing, from striving, from that endless wheel that's turning, where we're trying to earn our place at the table. Jesus says, you can stop that, you can rest, because I've made a seat at my table for you. My grace has made it possible for you to sit as a son, as a daughter, as a child of the king, where your past is not held against you, what you've done is not held over your head, what's been done to you, the labels that life has tried to put on you, all washed, all taken away. Rest is finally possible. A rest that can't be bought. And because it can't be bought, it can't be stolen. It can't be earned. It isn't deserved. Jesus alone stops us from that endless pursuit of trying to perform our way into rest, work our way into rest. Jesus gives us rest and him alone because only he has the power to overcome our tendencies to strive. But what's interesting, if that wasn't powerful enough, what's interesting is how Jesus says rest will come. He promises he'll give us rest, and then he tells us how we'll experience this rest. Because look at what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, this is interesting because Jesus is saying that all can come to him who are weary, heavy burdened, no criteria, no, you don't have to pass a test in order to receive this gift of rest that he's freely offering to every one of us. But then he says rest is going to come by you and I taking his yoke upon us. And if you know where this is going, if you've ever thought about what it means for Jesus to say, take my yoke upon you, then the question immediately emerges on the surface level before we dive in and get some answers is, how does a yoke provide rest? 
See, because it, it on the surface, it reads like this. Come to me, all you who are burdened, and I'm going to put my burden on you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't line up at first because he's taking our burdens and then replacing it with his burden. Where is the rest in this? We're still burdened at the end of all this exchange. But rest comes in the exchange of our burdens because what Jesus takes off of us and then what he puts on us is very different. See, the language of yoke in the scriptures was often attributed to the law of God. If you look up Acts 15 verse 10, Galatians 5 1, 1 Timothy 6 1, there's this language where it's often associated with the yoke of the law. And let me explain what that means. A yoke was intended to ease the discomfort in carrying a heavy load. If you look up yoke on Google, you'll see some images. But it also symbolized obedience and the acceptance of responsibility because the rabbis often spoke of the yoke of the law. And under their direction, that burden could become heavy. See, during Jesus' time, the rabbis had created a monstrous list of human traditions that were seen as law that had to be uh, submitted to. And the list was incredibly long. And in fact, they had more commandments that they created, man-made commandments, than God himself had created. And it was expected that you were to carry this heavy burden. But Jesus' yoke, by contrast, he says, my yoke is easy. Why that's interesting is because if you've read other moments where Jesus calls us to follow him, he doesn't mince words. And it actually, the furthest thing from sounding easy is Jesus' invitation for us to follow him. Jesus invites us and says, pick up your cross and deny yourself. He teaches his followers to forgive an obscene amount of times. Teaches us that if someone strikes us to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile, to pray for those who use us and hurt us. Like, this is not an easy call, but yet Jesus says, my yoke is easy. And so it, when he says it's easy, it's not because his call of discipleship is any less demanding or a low call that requires no sacrifice. But it's because he says, if you take my yoke, the reason why it will be easy easier than the yoke of the law is because you will learn from my gentle and humble heart. Did you catch that? It says, when we take his yoke upon us, it'll be easy. His burden is light and we will learn from his gentle and humble heart. In essence, what Jesus is saying is there's this personal invitation to take his yoke upon us. And what that symbolizes is that we become his apprentices. We become students of his heart, his character, his humility. We learn to see life as he sees it, to see people as he sees them, to live the way he would have us to live. And that yoke is easy because we end up growing into it. See, this language of yoke had these, this other meaning that at that time, the people that were listening to Jesus would have, the bell would have clearly been going off in their mind of kind of mental connection because they lived in an agrarian society. And so they saw ox 
uh, plowing the field. An ox, when they're plowing the field, a yoke is put on their shoulders. And oxen have huge shoulders. The, the span of their shoulders are quite large. So the yoke is quite big that is put on the ox that allows them to just uh, pull, you know, move forward with their great strength and it's plowing the field behind them. But ox, are they're paired. So what they normally would do is they will take a stronger, more mature ox and then put a younger ox in this yoke. And what would happen is that the bigger, more mature, stronger ox, as he's moving forward or she's moving forward, as they're going forward, the younger one is being carried. The yoke is not fully resting on the younger ox. It's resting on the older one. And so the yoke is easy and light on the younger one because it's resting on the stronger one. I think it's a beautiful image of what our relationship with Jesus is like because what Jesus is saying, come to me, I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to put my yoke on you. And the reason why it's going to be light is because I'm going to do the heavy lifting. To be my apprentice is to learn my ways in the context of me carrying you, me lifting you up, me doing the heavy work, the difficult, just, just strenuous stuff. That is on Jesus's shoulders. And what is a powerful thing to process is because whenever we hit those walls and those difficult moments of, I have to forgive this person and they've hurt me so viciously, I don't have the resources to do it, or man, this next step in my life is going to require so much faith and I'm fearful, I'm anxious, this is way bigger than me, or I, I, to break these habits, I need a discipline that I don't have, a fortitude that's lacking in me. In those places of deficiency and lack within ourselves, it would be good to remind ourselves what Jesus has said, and that is that his yoke is easy, his burden is light, because while we're yoked together with him, he is going to do the heavy lifting. He's carrying us. He's empowering us. He's making the way. All you and I have to do is to stay in the yoke with him. To stay in loving union with Jesus. And if we do so, he will carry us to where he desires us to go. See, the yoke Jesus offers is a yoke that gives us rest as we accept the invitation to become his apprentice. See, because he, he says, within this yoke, we will learn from him. And that word learn, the, the, the original meaning of, in the original language is this idea of discipleship. We will be apprentices. So Jesus says, you're going to experience a light burden and an easy yoke and your weariness and your burdens are going to be lifted in exchange for my yoke which is light and easy if you come to me and all of this is going to happen within the context of being his pupil studying his life living as he lived following him and seeking to imitate how he lived See, this is the reason why in this series we're talking about this idea of the life that we long for. Because in this series, we're going to study Jesus's life and the way that 
the way an apprentice studies their master teacher. Because it's in studying his life and discovering how he lived where you and I can actually begin to access the life that we long for. See, because the life that we long for is found in the way he lived his life, his everyday life, his priorities, his pace, his relationships. The life we long for is found in imitating the very way he lived. And we're going to unpack that over the next several weeks because one of the things that we're going to explore is that it's not enough to just believe truths about Jesus if we then refuse to model our life after the truths about his life. See, we can't just believe in Jesus and not choose to imitate Jesus, to live as he lived. See, when he says, learn from me, this is the language of discipleship, this invitation to learn through instruction, which is interesting when it comes to how many of us in our country have been formed and shaped in the way we follow Jesus. We've been told all we have to do is believe in Jesus, which is correct, but it's incomplete. Because when we study the scriptures, the idea of belief in scripture is not just to mentally assent and to mentally agree to a truth, but actually the evidence of belief is found in the concrete action that follows that mental assent. In other words, if I say I believe in X, then it's going to be proven as I do Y. So if I don't do Y, then I can't say with credibility that I believe in X. So if I say I believe in Jesus, but I don't imitate his life, then believing in Jesus becomes hollow. It's like saying I believe in school and what school can do, but I don't study. Then I truly don't believe in school and what it's intended to do if I'm not applying what school is calling me to do. And it's important for us to know that in our discipleship of Jesus, it's not enough to just say we believe in Jesus, but choose to not imitate how he lived. If we're not with the people that Jesus was with, then can we fully say that we believe in Jesus? If we don't live the way Jesus lived, his priorities, his pace, his rhythms, then can we truly say we believe in Jesus? We're going to unpack that and what it looks like to truly be his apprentice and, dis and a disciple of Jesus, to learn from him through instruction. But today, before we dive deeper into this journey over the next couple of weeks, I think it's appropriate to just simply pause and do the following. Can we be honest and confess our burdens, our weariness, and admit the fact that life has not been working for a long time? The pandemic didn't screw life up. It revealed how screwed up life was already. It didn't break life. Life was broken already. We were living unsustainably for as long as we've been alive. And the only way out is for us to say yes to this invitation from Jesus, come to me. But in order for us to receive the rest he promises, we have to be brutally honest. Say, Lord, my life has become unsustainable. It's been unsustainable for a long time been carrying burdens that are too big for me to carry. I'm weary. 
not just a little weary, I'm continuously weary. There's a heaviness that I can't shake off my soul. Jesus, I am coming to you confessing that I'm weary and that I'm carrying burdens. But I think another confession that might be appropriate for many of us to make is to confess that Jesus, I believe in you, but I haven't believed in you to the point that I've chosen to imitate your life. My belief in you has been more mentally assenting and agreeing to truths that I have not allowed to be internalized in my life. But I'm hearing your invitation. The rest is only going to come as I say yes to being your apprentice, a student of your life, your disciple. And Lord, I confess I, I'm a believer and not a disciple. But you call me to be a disciple. And Lord, I'm coming to you today. Would you join me in prayer? at this time. Lord Jesus, we ask God that you would meet us in this place of confession where we declare honestly that life has been unsustainable, that we're carrying burdens that are too big for us to carry. We're weary, we're fatigued deep in our souls. And Lord, we're saying yes to your invitation. And Lord, we're also confessing that we have believed in you in a way that's not translated into an imitation of your life. And today we say yes to your invitation for us to not just simply believe, but to imitate your life, to be your disciple, your student. Teach us to live as you lived. In Jesus' name, amen.